Welcome to the Functional Medicine Radio Show with your host, Dr. Carrie Drizga, known internationally as the Functional Medicine Doc. Dr. Carrie is committed to helping patients find the root cause of their health problems and fixing the cause with natural treatments so they can feel normal again. Dr. Carrie is the founder of Functional Medicine Ontario and is the author of the hit book, Reclaim Your Energy and Feel Normal Again. Please welcome your host, Dr. Carrie Drizga. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Functional Medicine Radio Show, the only internet radio show dedicated to giving you real solutions to improve your health. Not only are they real solutions, but they're natural solutions as well, because as you know, the one and only true wealth you have is your health. I'm your host, Dr. Kiri Drizga, the Functional Medicine Doc, and I'm committed to helping you find the root cause of your health problem, fix the cause with natural treatments so you can feel normal again and live your life to the fullest. Just a quick bit of housekeeping before I introduce our special guest today. I'm happy to announce my first book is now in print. The title is Reclaim Your Energy and Feel Normal Again, Fixing the Root Cause of Your Fatigue with Natural Treatments. I've discovered 14 root causes of fatigue. I like to call them the fatigue factors. And in this book, I explain eight out of the 14. I've had some amazing feedback on how easy it is to read and understand. It's not full of technical doctory language like most books written by doctors are. And of course, the book also includes my own personal fatigue story, along with four other stories from real fatigue cases from my private practice. It's available in paperback and Kindle form, so if you'd like a copy, you can find it on Amazon or on my website, www.drcarry.com. That's it for our housekeeping, so let's get started. I'm very excited about this week's show because my special guest is someone that I greatly admire. Her name is Shirley Plant. Let me tell you a little about Shirley. She is the author of Finally Food I Can Eat, an inspirational dietary guide and cookbook for people affected by food allergies and intolerances. She's recognized as a menu planning expert, and she's given seminars on food allergies, cooking, and even menu planning. As a nutritionist and dietary designer, Shirley offers her clients and their families a rare understanding and unique ex expertise that few people can match. Her pleasant and caring manner, her own experience as a food allergy sufferer and her creative design flair helps to offer hope for people struggling to find the light at the end of a dark dietary tunnel. Shirley, thank you so much for being my special guest today on this episode of the Functional Medicine Radio Show. Oh, you're so welcome. I'm happy to be here. Shirley, I wanted to talk a little bit today about food allergies and sensitivities. So as we get started, can you explain to our listeners what is the difference between a food allergy and a food sensitivity? Sure. And, you know, it, it gets a little confusing sometimes because we, we call them food allergies. We call them food sensitivities, food intolerances. And so I did write a little chapter in my book about the difference because really an allergy refers to a response of the immune system. So, and you know, that's when uh, a certain food or, or um, inhalant goes in and uh, it affects the immune system. Whereas, um, 
you know, a food intolerance is very different. It doesn't involve the immune system. Um, it's usually caused by uh, a problem in the way the body processes the food or sometimes the food additive. So they're very, very different, Carrie. And a lot of, a lot of times people will be um, reading things on the internet and, and will say, like, I know I'll say very commonly food allergies, food sensitivities, I'll use the... I'll use the terms interchangeably, but there really is a big difference. And, and that's part of what is so confusing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And really a food sensitivity is, it's kind of a non-specific term. Uh, you know, as I write in my book, it's a non-specific term that refers to a person reacting to a food or a component of the food, uh, you know, when almost when it's not clear as to what they're reacting to. And when we look at allergies, when it involves the immune system, um, you know, there's a, there's immediate reactions. We all know those, you know, we eat strawberries and we get hives right away, or someone eats a peanut or a nut or shellfish and they, they actually get anaphylactic, you know, they're their airways close down and they need to always carry uh, an EpiPen. Um, but there are delayed food reactions too. And what I, di what I didn't know when I was doing the research for my, for my book, and certainly this, in, something I encountered, was food allergies can be delayed. And actually 95% of food allergies are of the delayed onset type. So literally you could eat a food and up to 24, 72 hours later is when you are getting that immune-related reaction. So sometimes it's it's a little bit tricky to figure out what is going on in your body. Yeah, and for our listeners out there, for whenever you're speaking to a healthcare professional, a food allergy is actually the arm of the immune system. It's the IgE arm. And right. the food sensitivity is the IgA or the IgG. And then as you were explaining, a food intolerance is often a problem with processing. You said processing because you're Canadian and I say processing <laughs> because I'm from Chicago. But it's yeah. it's often um, that, that the food is not getting digested very well. So what are some of the most common food allergies slash sensitivities? Let's see. Really, for me in my practice, I see for for the allergies, I see um, dairy for sure. Um, allergies also being seafood and of course peanuts and nuts for sure. The sensitivities, I see a huge range. You know, the intolerances can be also, um, you know, a dairy, lactose intolerance, which is the sugar in milk. So many people can't digest that. Sometimes, though, it's, it's the protein in milk. It's the casein. Uh, for sure, I always see issues with wheat or and gluten, corn, um, eggs. I, actually, I see a lot of egg allergy as opposed to an egg sensitivity. Soy is another one for sure. And then I see a lot of people that have problems with nightshades. And those are the, the veggies like potatoes, tomatoes, eggplant, all those ones that we love to eat, red peppers. <laughs> now, 
How often do you see that people react to all of those things on your list? Because I can imagine some of our listeners are like, oh my gosh, you don't need anything anymore. And how often is it just like a few things on the list? Well, you know, it's amazing. A lot of times there is a whole slew. And as you say, you know, the, the blood work that a lot of people are doing now, and you will probably do it in your clinic, you know, for the, you test the IgE and the IgG and the IgA. So if it's coming back as a sensitivity, of course, there's usually, there's a degree of the sensitivity. And a lot of people have the sort of medium to high sensitivities. And so, you know, both you and I, I think, always want to know, okay, hey, what's going on? When we see someone that has 15 or 20 food sensitivities, we want to say, we want to know, okay, what's going on with this person's gut? Why do they have so many food sensitivities? Whereas sometimes I will get someone that literally um, it's come back and it's dairy and it's gluten and maybe soy. And we pull those out of the diet. I give them lots of ideas of all the foods they can eat and the foods they can replace. And wow, you know, they start to notice those, those issues, those chronic issues, the not feeling well, it clears up. And so sometimes really it's as simple as that, Dr. Carey. And other times, you know, you and I know it's a little more complicated with some people because they have so many of these food sensitivities. So Shirley, you brought up a really great point for our listeners. So for those that have already had blood work done, and it seems like pretty much every food that they eat, they react to that really it's about finding what is causing that. And it usually is a lot of irritation going on in the, in the intestines. And, and once we fix that irritation, a lot of those uh, quote sensitivities just magically go away. And that's true. And that's why I love working, you know, with someone like you, um, because I can, you know, help bring in healthy foods. And, you know, people always, and I remember when it happened to me, I, I got a list, I had like 30 foods on my list that I couldn't have. And I just thought I'm going to starve. Like, how am I going to eat? But it's amazing how many foods are out there that we don't even try or look at we just get so programmed to eating the same thing and so you know if I can help people to bring in foods come up with healthy recipes and then at the same time I work with someone like you and naturopath and they figure out what's going on in the gut because if, if you've got that many sensitivities I mean do you really want and if they are only sensitivities and not true allergies we hope that by as you know, healing the gut or fixing the problem that then, and giving the body a real rest, because sometimes it's about the total load on the body. And if we give our body a rest, then the, the people can get back to maybe introducing these foods on a rotation basis or, but you know, our bodies are so amazing. They're so brilliant. They're always giving us messages. I think it's just sometimes we're not listening. And then when we get those messages, sometimes it's overwhelming. So we need people like you to help figure it out. Now, Shirley, what, what are some of the symptoms that people can have if they have food sensitivities? How would somebody suspect that they might have food sensitivities? Wow, there are so many, 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 many. Um, let's see, you know, literally, they can affect the whole body. So headaches, um, eczema, you know, problems with your skin, 
sometimes with children, we see the dark circles under their eyes, um, hives, upset tummy, you know, especially, especially in kids, upset tummy, a bit of a bloated tummy, maybe some diarrhea, um, acid reflux, really almost anything can, can trace back to uh, an issue with food. And for our listeners that you might not have any symptoms at all, oh, but, but it's still too. possible to have food sensitivities. That's for sure. Exactly. And you just don't realize that that's slowly undermining your health until one day, you know, your health, you know, starts failing. So, um, well, and we get so accustomed to feeling the way we feel. So that's what I find with some people is that, you know, maybe they do have a few issues, but they're just so used to that chronic stuffy nose or the low grade headache or whatever it may be. Um, the certain something they get after they eat a certain food. Oh, well, I've always been that way. They don't attribute it to, to an issue with the food. And so then it's only when we remove the food that they, and then they say, oh, I don't have that anymore. I, I guess that wasn't normal. Now, uh, one of the questions that I get periodically from patients is about food combining. So can you explain what food combining is? Oh, Sure. So food combining is, you know, it's, it's nothing new. It's been around forever. And it's sort of how our, you know, our, our, our ancestors ate a long time ago. Um, the basis behind food combining is that it helps digestion. It helps your body to absorb the foods that you are eating. And so each food has a different rate of digestion and absorption. So if we combine a whole bunch of different foods together, it almost clobbers our digestive uh, process. And so the object in food combining is that you separate your foods and you don't combine foods that contain protein and starch together. So you don't eat those foods together because they have a very different digestive process and absorption process in the body. So you don't have your typical meat and potatoes, fish and rice, because really what a lot of people find out is that when they start to follow proper food combining, which means let's say they want to have their fish, that's fine. You have your fish or your or your healthy meat, but you would combine it with something that is easy to digest because that, that protein is, is hard to digest. So maybe you'd have it with some leafy greens instead of your baked potato or your rice. So you would combine your protein with some nice vegetables uh, and it makes your digestion work so much easier. So many people, you know, and we're, we're at different times of the year, we have our holidays and we have our turkey and our mashed potatoes and, you know, and you feel so tired afterwards or, um, and that a lot of times can be that we've just eaten all these different foods and they are just really taking so much energy to digest in our gut. And so people find that when they follow, uh, as I mentioned, a proper food combining, uh, approach, they feel so much better. And 
you know, I decided to, to put a chart in my book to help people. So more or less proper food combining, as I said, you know, you don't mix your proteins and your starches. You know, if you want to have nuts, you just have nuts. If you want to have your, your, your meats and your seafoods, you have that maybe with some green veggies, but you don't have them with beans or with potatoes or those starchy foods. And similarly with fruits, you know, there's, there's different types of fruits that are best eaten all by themselves. Uh, fruits like melons, they are just perfect just to eat on their own. Um, and I, I really get a lot of responses saying, wow, you know, that meal was so easy to digest. And I said, well, what did you change? And they said, well, I, I followed the proper food combining. And I said, well, isn't that amazing? That That's super. I'm so glad that it, it has helped. Through the years, I, you know, I've been in practice now, it's 19 years. And, and I have very often found with patients that are suffering with chronic digestive upset that have seemed to try everything. If they've uh -huh. never tried food combining, that usually fixes it. Really? Yeah. Because I think a lot of people, you know, will do the digestive enzymes and that certainly helps. And maybe they've started taking their probiotics, but sometimes it's just that it's just that one little thing that just gives the, the digestive system, um, you know, a little break. Shirley, for our listeners, do you have any resources you could suggest for food combining? Like, is there a book you can recommend? Hmm, that's a really good question. I'm just trying to think. Um, of course, I'm going to say my book. <laughs> um, there's a lot of, there is a lot of um, info on, on the net. And that maybe would be the best thing because I don't know, maybe you do. Do you know of a book that, that just covers food combining i mean usually it's um in within within another type of book um, but if you really just want to do just the food combining uh certainly there's a chart in my book there's a little chapter in there but if you go online and you google proper food combining you will get a wealth of information there that will that will really uh educate you as to what food combining is all about. Okay. Yeah. I, I, I actually don't know okay, about yeah, that no. is only about food combining. That's why I asked. So I, okay. you know, I don't think, like, I think when I was doing my research, I didn't really find one. It was really always in amongst other things. And so that's why I thought, well, you know, I will put this into my book because it's, it's all about, you know, everything, how we eat, how we prepare our food, how we digest. And so why not just add in this, this segment? So let's switch gears here. So earlier in our conversation, we were talking about some of the different types of testing that can be done to discover your food allergies and sensitivities. So at this point, I'd love for you to talk about an elimination diet and why that is actually considered the best way to test for allergies and sensitivities. Sure. Um, you know, you and I both know that uh, there are so many different ways to test for, for allergies and intolerances these days, but they're not 100% accurate. So, you know, I get a lot of people, and, there, and there's some people that just don't have the money. As we know, they're expensive, and, and they don't have the money to do the food testing, the allergy testing. So, really, the body is brilliant, and many times I will suggest to, to my clients, let's do an elimination diet. I really do believe that 
people know their bodies better than anybody else. And if they start to get in tune with their bodies and we start to pull out really the elimination diet is you are is simply that you are eliminating foods. First, we're eliminating highly suspect foods. So we pull the things like eggs and dairy and gluten and of course sugar and you know, those and even sometimes chicken, you know, the foods that really play a role. And we get down to very minimal foods. I always recommend people keep a food diary, an elimination diary. You write down what you're eating, what your symptoms are. And the whole point of an elimination diet is you want to get to a point where you don't have any symptoms, that you you feel well on the foods that you are eating. And when you find a baseline, when you feel that, you know, okay, I'm, I'm good with sweet potato, I'm good with, you know, a white fish, I'm good with whatever it is, and you're eating your, you know, you're eating those foods. And it's, it, you know, some people think it's really hard to do an elimination diet, but I actually turn it around and I think, how simple is that? I know I know for the next week, I'm really only going to be eating six or seven foods. I don't care. I'll eat them for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. How simple is that? You know, I just, I have them. I eat them. I eat single foods. It's not complicated. You don't have to make these recipes. I keep track of how I'm feeling. I'm drinking lots of pure filtered water. And wow, all of a sudden, you know, oh, I've lost that symptom and I'm not feeling this and I'm not, and you think, okay, great. I've gotten to a place where I'm feeling well. These are the foods that I've been consuming. A lot of people, we do it up. We do a chart, an Excel spreadsheet chart or something like that. And then we start to introduce one food um, and we see how we feel. We make notes, we, we, um, you know, we think, do we, are, are we having any um, reactions? Do we, did all of a sudden the sore tummy come back? And if not, then that's great. That's an allowable food that we can allow back in. Now you want to introduce foods, really, it depends on the person, but probably every four days because food can stay in, to, in your system up to four days. So as we know, when we were talking earlier about a reaction, it can be delayed. It can really sometimes, it can stay in your gut and it can cause a reaction four days after you eat it. So that's why when you get down to your sort of eliminating, you get down to the foods that you know you're good with and you start reintroducing, you introduce one food every four days. Now, if you introduce a food and you don't feel well or some symptom comes back, well, then that's a problematic food. So you take that back out, you make a little note, you say, Oh, you know, banana, hmm, whoops, okay, we'll put that on the, the back burner for later. And then we bring in, you know, brown rice or whatever it may be. And um, it really is a great way to be able to know what foods are playing a role in your in your health. So for our listeners out there that have either done formal like blood testing and they have a sense of what their food sensitivities are or those that have tried to do an elimination diet or those that are just you know suspicious about certain foods can you give us some ideas about substitutes for some of these common food sensitivities 
Sure. You mean once once they've done the elimination diet and they figure out the foods that, that are playing a role? Is that what you mean? Yeah. The elimination diet, or let's say they've had blood work done and it says they have a sensitivity to dairy or wheat or whatever. Right. Sure. For sure. And that's the thing. You know, today we have so many substitutes. Wow. So let's say, let's take dairy. And, you know, as I said, a lot of people, a lot of people have issues with, um, with lactose. And again, they they just don't know it because really they're drinking the milk every day. It's in every food and they have no concept until they pull it out. And then they go, wow, wow, I feel better. And my stuffy nose is gone. And so what can we use instead of, instead of cow's milk? Well, uh, there's things like almond milk, uh, depending whether or not you're okay with soy. Uh, if you are going to use soy, please use only organic soy milk. Uh, there's rice milk, there's coconut milk, there's hemp milk, there's flaxseed milk. You know, there's so many things. And for, certainly for me, for baking, I love using either almond milk, an unsweetened almond milk or coconut milk in my baking. You know, I make my own granola in the morning and I pour full fat coconut milk over top of it. You know, our healthy fats are good for us. And Wow, it's so yummy in the morning. You know, you can make smoothies and shakes with coconut milk. So for milk, I, you know, there's lots of alternatives for sure. Um, for wheat and gluten, of course, as we know, a lot of people are realizing that they're having problems with the wheat, the gluten of today. It's changed quite a bit. So they're pulling out gluten. Um, I love to recommend the, the healthier grains. And again, depending on if you're okay with the other gluten-free grains, um, we can do millet flour, uh, brown rice flour, chickpea, chickpea flour, sorghum flour, uh, almond flour is great if you're okay with nuts. Uh, there's so many, teff flour, um, so many of the gluten-free flours now that are available. And I really urge people to try and, you know, either check out my uh, book or online for some healthy gluten-free recipes. Because unfortunately, we have a whole industry of gluten-free foods, prepackaged foods, and a lot of them, I need you to label read, a lot of them are not healthy. They, they're made with white rice flour, and starches and lots of sugar and that just turns to sugar in our body and we're really not doing ourselves any service by eating those so um eggs if you can have eggs certainly um i always use either a flaxseed mixture i either boil flaxseed and then put it in the in the fridge and it congeals into sort of that gooeyness like an egg or i'll do chia seed i'll take some chia seed mix it with a little water, whisk it up and put it in the fridge. And again, it gets kind of that gelatinous texture. Uh, and that works wonderfully in a, in a in bread or baking recipes. Certainly, if you have a recipe that calls for six eggs, if you're making meringues or something like that, you're not going to be able to substitute. You know, an egg is an egg. But in baking or something like that, you know, scrambled eggs. A lot of people will do scrambled organic tofu and they'll cut up some nice veggies in there and, you know, they put in some turmeric or whatever and, and they don't notice that they can't have the eggs anymore. Um, 
what other well, i'm trying to think of what other foods would you like substitutes for? how about corn corn ah there you go that's a good one because you're right so many people um have issues with corn so certainly if you're using like a corn starch uh, a good replacement for corn starch is either a tapioca or an arrowroot starch you know if someone wanted to make a flour or you know something like that corn as a vegetable um you know i just it's funny i don't i don't really miss corn anymore i use different things if it's a if it's a shepherd's pie and you're so used to having your corn in your shepherd's pie i put in green peas and carrots instead um Certainly the, the corn syrups, the, um, you know, we don't need to be eating those anyway. And certainly if a recipe, you're making a sweet recipe and it calls for a corn syrup, use a raw honey or a maple syrup instead. You know, that will work wonderfully. Um, corn tortillas, uh, again, we can look at more of a gluten-free tortilla, I make tortillas with some of my gluten-free flours. I've even made flax um, and seed tortillas. Um, I now longer, you know, I don't even eat bread anymore, and I don't eat the, the corn tortillas anymore. I make flax crackers instead. I just look at things in a different way, and I look at what all the options are and what I what I need that for. So, you know, when someone comes to me and for example, like you, if you were to say corn, so I would say to them, well, what, in what context is it? Is it corn, the vegetable that you're missing? Is it corn syrup you're missing? Is it that the corn starch that you can't have? And then that's when we really try and figure out, okay, what are all the substitutes? Because really, there really is a substitute, I think almost for everything. It might be a little bit different, but there really is a substitute for everything. Shirley, I would love to keep talking with you today, but we're getting kind of low on time. Can I ask you, can I ask you back for like a part two interview? Because I would love to just focus on gluten and dairy and sugar, like those sure. three. Sure. That would be fantastic. That would be so fun. Okay. So for our listeners, we'll, we'll plan that in a couple of months after this podcast airs and then we'll let you know when part two comes out. Uh, Shirley, how can our listeners find out more about you and where can they get your book? For sure. So they can visit my website, which is deliciousalternatives.com. Lots of free recipes there. You can buy the book online, depending on where you live. It's in many uh, health food stores, or if you're in Canada, Chapters Indigo. If you're in the States, you know, uh, you can get it on Amazon as well. Uh, I also have a Facebook page called Finally Food I Can Eat, of course, after the, the name of my book. And I post healthy recipes and healthy tips there as well. So you can find me there too. Shirley, thank you so much for being my special guest today. This has been an awesome interview. Thanks, Dr. Carey, for having me. I've so enjoyed spending time with you. All right, that wraps up this very special episode of the Functional Medicine Radio Show with Shirley Plant. And I want to thank you, our listeners, for tuning in today. And I'd like to invite you back next week for another episode of the Functional Medicine Radio Show. As always, I'm your host, Dr. Carrie Drizga, the Functional Medicine Doc. Have a great week, everyone.
You've been listening to the Functional Medicine Radio Show with your host, Dr. Carrie Drizga, known internationally as the Functional Medicine Doc. Dr. Carrie is committed to helping patients find the root cause of their health problems and fixing the cause with natural treatments so they can feel normal again. Dr. Carrie is the founder of Functional Medicine Ontario and is the author of the hit book, Reclaim Your Energy and Feel Normal Again. Please tell your friends about the Functional Medicine Radio Show, and we'll see you next week with more from Dr. Carrie.